All right, if you will, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. And uh, who's ever doing the sound? Can you turn it down just a little bit? Um, I, tend to, I tend to, whenever I start preaching, to talk a little loud. So I've been told. I'm not, not quite sure how that is, you know. You normally think you talk, you're talking normal until, you know, you go home and a certain very beautiful young lady tells you, uh, yeah, you're kind of talking a little loud. And so, yeah. Well, well, again, thank you all for being here, and thank you all um, that we get the fellowship around God's Word. Listen, I love church, and I love spending time with all of you, but man, there's something about this Word, right? Because it gives life to the soul. And so, whether I'm preaching or not, I'm like a kid in a candy store whenever I come to God's Word, because I know that God's going to say something that's going to feed me and carry me uh, through these very difficult times. And so, today... We're going to be looking at God's Word, and I just want to read uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and then I'll close by making reference to 6 through 12, Um, and we'll we'll not read through the entire passage printed in your bulletin. We'll just read the first five verses, because that's the meat of what we're going to talk about today, which is living life as an overcomer, living life as an overcomer. If I were to ask you, do you want to live life as an overcomer, you'd say, Pastor Dennis, of course. Well, how do we do that? I think the scripture tells us. So I pray that the Lord gives you ears to hear and eyes to see. So let's go before our Lord and and read his word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And I love this next portion. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Our faith. Our faith. Who is that? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Beloved, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade. But the word of the Lord, this word will endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go before our Lord and pray. Father, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. Be kind to them, Father, and give them them it to the fullest. Lord, hold nothing back. Holy Spirit, may your power go out now, and may these words lodge deep in their soul. We thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look at this passage before you, there are three times in this passage John uses the term 
overcomes the world. Notice with me in verse number 4. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And then he goes on to say, And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And then he goes on in verse number 5 to say, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, there's an obvious question here. If he's talking so much about overcoming the world, then we have to ask ourselves, what is it in the world or about the world that we need to overcome? And it doesn't take very long for us to get what that is. You and I have all been witness to what has been going on in our world over the past two weeks, and I would push it back to say over the past several months. Some of the things that have overcome the world is not our faith, it's fear, it's anger, it's frustration. The things that have overcome us in this world is not faith, but it's the schemes of politicians, and it's the schemes of those who profit from the death of an innocent man. It's those that are in the world that seek to divide us, whites against blacks, rich against poor, young against old, educated against uneducated. These are the things in our world that are overcoming the world, because all the world knows is strife. All the world knows is division. And if we're not careful, all of us become a party to that. You start talking to someone nowadays, and it's not long, you start dividing them into what political party they're in. You start talking to people nowadays, and it's not long before you figure out, hey, where they stand on the social issues. But beloved, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God doesn't say that what's going to make it in this world is the right political formula. And it doesn't say what's going to make it in this world is where you land on the social issues. God's Word is clear. What will overcome the world is our faith. It's the faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this Word says. I love what Helen Keller says, and most of you know Helen Keller. She was born, uh, she actually uh, had developed uh, through a childhood illness, deaf. She became deaf and blind and mute. And this is what she said. She said, faith is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. Right now we're in the midst of what can only be described as a shattered world. A world despondent by what is going on. And indeed, her words ring true. If we as God's people are going to come out into the light, we are going to need to understand our faith. And we're going to need to have overcoming faith. But it's not just the world that we have to worry about, it's ourselves. Because I have to let you know, there are times when myself overcomes me. Through depression and through anger through impurity. These are all the things that threaten to overcome us. So we have the dangers outside, but we also have the dangers inside in our own lives. 
And so what can overcome this, this sin? What can overcome this? Nothing but our faith. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is I want us to take a look at how our faith overcomes the world. And for us to have overcoming faith, we need to first of all keep the faith, know the faith, and understand that Christ is king over our faith. So we have to know our faith, keep the faith, and of course understand that Christ is king over our faith. But let's look at the first one. We need to know our faith. Notice verse number 1 and verse number 5. It begins here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's verse number 1. Then drop down in verse number 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John tells us what is the characteristic of this overcoming faith. It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, whenever you see a biblical writer uses a unit, so verse number 1 and verse number 5 in your Bibles are usually set apart. And whatever he begins that unit with and ends that unit with is what is most important. And what John is saying here that is most important is not the exercising of your faith, but it's the object of your faith. And the object of your faith must be Jesus Christ. The object of your faith must be in Christ and nothing else. Now all of us as Christians say, Amen, Pastor Dennis, of course we know this. Yes, we know this. But do we practice it? Do we believe in it? Because what we put our faith and trust in makes all the difference. Most of you remember the story in Acts 17. Paul goes in the Areopagus and he's arguing with the Epicureans and the Stoics. And the Areopagus at that time was a place where you go and you talk about all the social issues. That's where you try to go and solve all the social issues of the day, whether they be political, whether they be religious, doesn't matter what it is. And Paul goes there and starts talking to them about this Jesus Christ. And you know what they said? They said, listen to this babbler. What is he talking about? Now, why would they call him a babbler? Here's why. So on the one hand, you had the, the Stoics. And the Stoics, the way they dealt with problems is that they said, well, problems come and they're unavoidable. They're going to happen. And so instead of us getting worked up about problems, we should have a stiff, stiff upper lip about the problem. And so the way they deal with problems is just saying, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to deal with myself. And then on the other hand, you had the Epicureans. And they were a little different. They were the passionate folks. And so the way they dealt with problems is they say, well, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And then some of them said, oh, we're going to get agitated and we're going to cause a ruckus. And Paul looks at them and says, okay, although all of their approaches are different, the object of their faith is still the same, self. Self. Because they all thought it was up to them to deal with their problems. They all thought it was up to them to address the problems in their life. And Paul says, no, it's not up to you. The approach that we take in this world is not trying to look at man to solve problems. Recently, Stephen Pinker wrote a, wrote a book called Enlightenment Now. He wrote it about two years ago. And in the book, he talked on and on about how human progress is going to usher us into a brand new world. And he predicted by 2020, 
2020, we would be in a place where science and philosophy and philosophical thought is going to reign today. Boy, was he wrong. Now listen, I don't say that to be critical of Steven Pinker. He's a brilliant man, but here's the point. So many of us, even though we're Christians and we know that our object of our faith is Jesus Christ, we still have our faith in the wrong thing. We still have our faith in how big our bank account is. And we still have our faith in the amount of money that we make. We still have our faith in the things that are around us and not in Jesus Christ. And if you are going to have faith that overcomes, it must be in Jesus Christ. Now you might be saying, well, Den Pastor Dennis, why? Why is it the case that if we are going to overcome the things in this world, the prejudice in this world, the violence, the hatred, the poverty, the homelessness, drug addiction, plagues, why is it that personal faith in Jesus Christ is so important? Well, Jesus tells us in John 16.33. He says this, In this world you will have live, live, um, tribulation, but take heart. In other words, he says, cheer up. Cheer up. Why? I have overcome the world. The reason why we have faith in Jesus Christ is because he alone has overcome the world. I know of no other human being that has overcome the world except Jesus Christ. And because he has overcome the world, we can overcome the world. The reason why our faith is victorious is because we have a victorious Savior. And the reason why we have an overcoming faith is because we have an overcoming Savior. And if our faith is in the overcoming Savior, if our faith is in the Savior that went before us and conquered death and hell, then we as God's people know for a fact that we too can conquer death and hell as well. Beloved, are you an overcomer? What is your faith in? You don't have to raise your hand and tell me. This isn't confession time. Confession time comes afterwards. But here's the point. Think about what your faith is in. Think about when things get bad, what you actually trust in. Because ultimately, that's the object of your faith. And you know, as a pastor, I have to admit sometimes, I'm ashamed to admit it, but my faith is not always in Christ. My faith is not always, he's not always the object of my faith. I tend to sometimes put my trust in other men. And I tend to put my faith and trust sometimes in a particular situation. But, but listen, John says that if you and I are to overcome not just the world but ourselves, we need to make sure that our faith is firmly supplanted in Christ. And the great irony of this is that we have so many people in the world that are putting their faith in man and in government and they keep getting disappointed over and over and over again. I wish I had a big microphone to tell the world, listen, don't look to Washington to solve the problems in Flintstone. Right? Stop looking to Washington to solve the problems in your own home. The only person that can solve the problems in your homes, and in our neighborhoods, and in our states, is the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And listen... When we read the Bible and we see the things in the Bible, we need to have the faith to believe that those things are true, and only in those things can we have peace and security in this world. Beloved, we cannot do it. Listen, this, when are we going to vote? In November? 
That's not the defining election. Every year they tell, every cycle they tell us that this is the defining election. You lie. It's not. Right? It's not. The defining moment happened over 2,000 years ago on a cross where a Savior died for your sin and my sin, and that is what enables us through the power of the Holy Spirit to have the defining moments in our life and to have the ability to overcome. Beloved, it's going to be your faith, and it has to be your faith in Christ and nothing else. And we as a people must believe in that, but not just that. We not only need to have faith in Christ and know who is the object of our faith, but we also need to be able to keep the faith. Keeping the faith is important. It's one thing to have it. It's another thing to keep it. Look at verse number two and three. Scott, I'm starting to sweat. Whew. Scott told me earlier, that's how, that's how he knows it's ready. You know, when I start, whew, I don't mean it, but it, it's starting to happen. Notice, notice verse number two says this, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, it's not enough that we believe, but we must keep his commandments. Now, hear me today. The scripture is clear in the book of James. He says that if belief was enough, then even the devils would be saved, right? Because James says that the devils also believe and they tremble. Now notice that the, the devil, as they, as they believe, they tremble. They do the opposite of what scripture calls them to do, which is exercise love and obedience in Christ. Notice that the Bible says that we ought to love the Father, and then also love those who have been born by Him. That's what it means to keep the faith, that we're actively loving people, that we're actively serving others, that we're actively ministering to people. That's what it means to keep the faith, but also to practice obedience, obedience in Christ. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 3. I love that John has to add this, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because they often feel burdensome, don't they? Jesus had to say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and of heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He has a light burden. And it's completely different from the world. Several years ago, uh, I had to, uh, read a, uh, I think it was a biography of C.S. Lewis. I, I absolutely love C.S. Lewis. I almost named my son C.S. Lewis. In fact, his initials are C.S. Lewis. But my wife didn't think Clive Staples Lewis was a good name. I, I, you know, I, who would have known? You know, I love Clive Staples Lewis, but that's, that's, I'm getting off the beaten path here. So I read, I read this uh, biography by C.S. Lewis, and it talked about how C.S. Lewis, when he, when he went off the war, he went uh, in the First World War, he, um, he met this young man, and they became fast friends. And, and he promised the young man, at least they promised one another, that if one of them died, the other one would have cared for their spouse. 
And so, uh, so not, not their spouse, their, their parents. Because C.S. Lewis had a father who was single, and, and the other gentleman had a mother uh, who was single. And so they, they went off to war. C.S. Lewis got injured and, and went back to England, and his friend never came back. And so C.S. Lewis was faithful to his promise, and he took care of the man's uh, mother, whose name is Miss, Mrs. Moore. And it turns out that Mrs. Moore was not what she was cracked up to be. She wasn't the sweet mother at all, and some of you know the story. Uh, uh, she, was, she was difficult. In fact, she was very difficult. Uh, C.S. Lewis's brother taught, uh, said that for, the, for about 30 years, and you can read this in his diary, for 30 years, C.S. Lewis waited on Mrs. Moore like he was her slave. She said that, uh, he said that uh, the burdens that Mrs. Moore put on him was more for the man to bear, and he bared it for 30 years. And some glimpses of uh, C.S. Lewis' uh, difficulty in serving Mrs. Moore came out in uh, the screw tape letters where he described the woman who was caught in the clutches of the devil as always wanted just a little bit more and her food this, this kind of way and the like, right? And I've often told myself, man, if only she had died 10 years earlier, you know, C.S. Lewis would have written so much more. But, 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 the, but the, the, the point is, is that C.S. Lewis served this woman and, and her burden on him was burdensome. His service to her was incredibly burdensome. And it inconvenienced him beyond what he could bear at times. And yet he persevered. Beloved, how much more when God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, when God tells us to give liberally to the work of the ministry and to his people, when God tells us to have our speech seasoned with salt, when God tells us to submit to one another, wives to your spouse, uh, to, your, to your husband and husbands to your wives, when commands of God, are, 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 we read them in God's word and we are called to do them, how much more should we be faithful to that? Because they're not burdensome. And we shouldn't look at them as burdensome. We shouldn't look at the things that God has called us to do as burdensome. Because they're supposed to be light. They're designed for you. And I know that sometimes the things in this world are burdensome. Listen, can we be honest? Sometimes it's difficult to love our spouse. And sometimes it's hard to raise children. And sometimes it's difficult to love that next door neighbor. Sometimes it's very difficult to control our tongues. I know I'm meddling now, but it's the truth. These things can seem burdensome. Sometimes it's burdensome to come to church. But listen, these things are not difficult for us. They ought not to be. God says they're a grace. Everything that's written in this book is a blessing to you, and you ought not to look at it as a chore. Cheer up. It's supposed to be a delight. And listen, we hope that coming to CVBC is a delight for you and not a burden. But it's all about perspective. Do you view the things that God has called you to do as a burden, as a chore? You ought not to. Because the things that he's called you to do are never burdensome. They're always a blessing to you. Um, one other thing I want to mention about this text is how this text is just a call for us to obey God in the sense that 
you and I need to actively seek to do the things that God has called us to do. One of the things about overcoming faith, and uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he puts it this way. Wright says this, that John says, when he says everyone, the word also means everything that this person does in the name of God the Father has overcoming power. Hear me today. Everything you do as a child of God has overcoming power. So when you stand up and speak truth in your home, at your job, in your community, that has the power to enact change. And I'm talking about real change, lasting change. All of you have a testimony of a time in your life when you've spoken the truth of God's word to someone and their lives were changed as a result of it. That's the power of God's word. That's what makes you an overcomer because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So the big question is, why don't we speak more? What are you afraid of? If God has said you are an overcomer, you're a conqueror of the kingdom of darkness, then you need to act and walk boldly and not be ashamed of the glorious gospel, but to be bold and to speak truth and to live truth. I want, to note, I want to point out the last thing. Not only should you and I have this faith in which we know it, know that it's overcoming, that in which we keep it in the sense that we live it out, but lastly, Christ is the king of our faith. Notice with me in verse 6 through 12, John launches out again in this testimony concerning the Son of God. And in verse number 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and blood. And it says, And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is true. What is John saying there? Well, first of all, John establishes that Jesus is the one that came by the water and the blood, meaning the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, that came to earth in flesh and died for our sins. This is why he's the king of our faith. Because he came and died for us, the eternal son of God. This is what gives him the authority to be king of our faith. Notice with me in verse number 7 and 8. John talks about the three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Why would John say that? Well, in Jewish law, whenever two or three agree on a matter, the matter is settled. That means the testimony of Christ as the Son of God is settled forever. Yes and amen. And then notice verse 9 through 12. He talks about the highest testimony of them all. The testimony of the Father, God, which is greater than all. That have given testimony to the fact that this is his beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. Now why is John taking great pains and re-emphasizing that Jesus Christ again is the chief object of our faith. And the one who we as God's people should look to. Well consider the time that John is living in. Think of how audacious it was for John to say that the victory, the overcoming or conquering faith belonged to Jesus Christ and not Rome or Caesar, but in Christ alone. And if it is that our faith is rest, uh, rest in Christ alone as king over all, then everything that we do will serve the ends of the king. 
that you and I don't live our faith out for ourselves selfishly, but we do it in service of the king. I remember when I was younger, some of you know that I played chess moderately well. And, um, and as a chess player, uh, one of the things that you have to learn early on is how to sacrifice your pieces. And, um, and I hated sacrificing my pieces. They're my pieces. Uh, why would I give my rook for a knight? Which, by the way, the rook is more than the knight. And why would I give my bishop for a pawn? And my, my chess teacher at the time said, Dennis, um, you're not going to go very far playing chess if you don't learn how to sacrifice your pieces. So he gives me a book. So I'm reading through this book. I'm like, Ugh, this foolish book. I don't want to use it because I don't want to sacrifice my pieces. And I remember this one, this, this sort of one chapter as I was reading through it, I remember reading these words by the author, and they've always stuck with me. Here's what the author said. said that some of us struggle with sacrificing our pieces because we keep thinking that our pieces belong to us and to serve our ends. But you must realize that every sacrifice you make is done in service of the king. Let that sink in for a moment. This is a chess book, by the way. But the principle holds true in your life. When Christ is king of your faith, everything you do is done in service of the king. Every sacrifice, every act of obedience, everything you do is in service of the king. And hear me today, hear me. It's not in service of yourself, it's not in service of your family. It's not in service of the government. It's in service of the king. And beloved, if we are going to have the faith that overcomes the world, if we're going to live lives as overcomers, we must understand that everything that we do, whether it's in this church or our home or in society, it must be done in service of who? The king. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a king of our faith. For us to have the faith that overcomes the world, we need to have faith that we know is grounded in you, faith that we keep, but more than that, faith that realizes that you are king and sovereign over, and everything we do, we do it in service of you. Bless us now, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen.